Hey, everybody. Welcome to Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and I'm so happy you're here with us. If you're just joining for the first time, I am a special needs mom, a special needs attorney, and a best-selling author. So please grab your coffee, and if you're like me, you might be listening in your car. I spent a lot of time in the car in my day. And please join us for some important discussions to help you thrive in this complex special needs world. Each week, we're going to chat with parents and experts, and sometimes parents who are experts, to offer compassionate advice for all stages of your life. These are the conversations you would have with your best friend if your best friend was an expert like me. Let's go. Hey, welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. So uh, last week, there was an article in Medium by a uh, disabled woman who uh, who just wrote a really compelling article about language, and I've been reading and thinking and talking a lot for the past year, uh, probably longer than that, but let's just call it the past year about, you know, this idea, which is not a new idea, but kind of new for me, about the, the difference between using the term disabled versus using the term special needs. Now, you know that This podcast is called Parenting Impossible, the Special Needs Survival Podcast. And my law firm and my other company are called Special Needs Law Group and Special Needs Family Services. So um, the, you know, in the parenting world, for the most part, not universally, parents have embraced the term special needs. And for the most part, in the adult world, adults' preference, for the most part, and I'm not speaking universally for every person. I I would never speak for every person. I think, though, generally, from what I have gathered in asking people, is that most adults do prefer to be... um, you know, to be referred to as a disabled person. So having said that, this article in Medium discussed that and said, you know, essentially, hey, we get it, parents. Special needs is a softer term and, you know, it it feels better, but stop already. You're not really helping your children by using that term and um, most adults find it offensive uh, and don't like it, don't appreciate it, so enough already. I mean, it was a it was a really well-written, great article and there are many others that have written about this and, um, and I appreciate the respectful way that this conversation happens so much of the time. I've had my own respectful conversations with folks in the disability community about this. And, you know, frankly, most people 
get it and they appreciate the fact that their parents have, you know, really worked so hard and raised them and advocated for them and their siblings and so forth. And from where I'm coming from, you know, they're in the planning world, it's called a special needs trust. It's called special needs planning. It's not called a disability trust. It's not called disability planning. Um, there, you know, there is still so much usage of special needs in in that sense. And when us parents get together, we really are still pretty much using that term, using that that verbiage. And you know, I am asking ourselves like why why are we still using that terminology as attorneys we are definitely still using that terminology it's what social security uses it's what medicaid uses it's it's still almost a term of art still um and so it it's hard language evolves but it is hard and some terms have gone by the wayside and you know, I ask myself, like, why is it that some words, like, I almost, I almost hit somebody one time when they called my daughter retarded. At at the same time, you know, I don't get as offended when people, well-meaning, use the word handicapped, but haven't moved on from that word. You know, but I don't find that as offensive. So you know, it, it language. Language, right? Language. Um, differently able. It never really stuck. It never really caught on. There, There's so much to this idea of language. So I had my, my new friend, Julie Falcone, join me for a podcast, a return podcast. Julie is the author of Dear Loved Ones, An Honest Guide to Helping the Special Needs Family You Love to talk about this and the related issue of allyship because allyship has been another really big conversation that we've been having in all of our communities over the last year plus since George Floyd and since so many other things have happened in our communities of color and in our um, many diverse communities, as we are talking about diversity, as we are talking about DEI, as we are talking about about important issues of equity, it seems that so many people forget about disability when they are talking about DEI. And every time a DEI conversation comes up, I mentioned disability and many people are not thinking about disability. So allyship. What does it mean to be an ally in the disability community? And I think this goes hand in hand with language. Parents are the biggest ally, the greatest ally, and the first ally and advocate for that disabled child. So I wanted to talk to my good friend, Julie, because her book is all about talking to family, extended family, and that initial first circle of care, that initial community 
that surrounds that child, that disabled child when they are first born. So Julie and I have this conversation about language and about allyship, being a good ally. And I, I recounted to her at the end of the podcast my first experience with allyship when I was in college at UVM, the University of Vermont, um, I was part of a huge sit-in. We had uh, some really dramatic issues of race that were happening at our school. And our students of color, which were a very, very small minority at UVM, uh, took over the administration building and a few of us who wanted to be allies and wanted to support that cause could not be in that room when they took over the president's wing. But in order to be supportive, took over another part of the building and went on a hunger strike to support that allyship. And it made me think of that experience that I had when I went on that hunger strike for a week and was a good ally to my friends and helped bring that experience, bring that issue forward. Also, in April, the month of April, we celebrated a month-long sit-in that some very brave disabled adults um, experienced um, in San Francisco and helped get past 504, which was the precursor to the ADA. And so if you don't know that history, you should look that up. And that was an amazing time in the history of the disability rights movement. Uh, Judith Human was there, who is a very famous disability rights activist and some of the allies that they had who taught them how to be great activists were, for example, the Black Panthers. So amazing things can happen with allyship. So parents, we may not always get it right. We may not always appreciate language but we try and we are allies. Family members, we are allies. We are that circle of care and we are trying. We hope that we can come together to continue to talk about language and to continue to talk respectfully and join together as allies. So, as Julie and I have this conversation about language and allyship, I hope that you will listen in and appreciate the spirit with which we have this conversation and the ideas are ours and appreciate the, the thoughts and the heart with which it's given. So, um, let us know your thoughts. Please share any ideas that you have and please be gentle with us. Thank you. And here we go. Okay.
Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible. I am so lucky to be back today with Julie Falcone, who, if you remember, was an amazing interview. We talked to Julie about her fantastic book, Dear Loved Ones, An Honest Guide to Helping the Special Needs Family You Love. So we laughed a lot the last time we got together. I think we're going to laugh a lot again today. And I wanted to have Julie back because last time we talked about her book, we'll talk a little bit more about that again today. Since that time, Julie uh, joined our Circle of Care, which is, if you don't know, podcast fans, it's our Facebook group. And it's free to join. So you're welcome to do that. Just go to specialneedscompanies.com and click on our uh, circle of care group and just ask to join. And as long as you are somebody connected to the disability community, we will welcome you in. And that means that you are either a person with a disability, somebody who cares for a person with a disability, or you are a professional in the disability community. And um, in that circle, we have a live event every Wednesday from six to seven, approximately, sometimes a little bit less. Um, and we generally have a guest host. Sometimes I host, but I try to get more interesting people than me every week. And that is six o'clock Eastern time. And we do different, very informal topics of interest. So Julie was very kind and she hosted last week and talked about her favorite topic of interest, which is how to talk to your family and your loved ones about um, what our life is like as parents, right? And, um, and caregivers, not just parents, but caregivers too. And what the, you know, what, what the various things that we encounter are from a, on a day-to-day -day basis. And it was great. So of course, we had some technical difficulties, didn't we? Welcome, Julie. Let's talk about those technical difficulties. What a shock that something went a little awry, right? And I swear I started a good 25 minutes early because, you know, you try to, I tried to plan ahead knowing that I'm not technologically advanced. Yeah. But good God, by the time six o'clock rolled around, I had a sweat mustache. I was <laughs> screaming at everybody. I couldn't get on Facebook. Oh, and I was supposed to remember my Facebook password. <laughs> I have no idea what wow. any of I put in every password I've ever used in all my life. None of them worked, of course. And so, you know, half the time that I do this, I record it to the wrong place and people can't find me. And I've got my technical assistant, thank God, who is streaming it over to the right place and apologizing to every, all 500 people that are trying to log in. It's, it's a nightmare. Um, yes, so my shame and my, my guilt <laughs> and my apologies were in overdrive for and sure. This is our life because, you know, things just don't always go perfectly. And that is the theme yes. of your book. And it is the theme of a lot of the conversations that we have here. So it's cool. It's totally cool. And the conversation that you had was, you know, the, the highlights of the conversation that you had was fantastic. And it was really about, hey, give us a break right? Let's not be judgy. I mean, that's totally what I got out of it. Let's not be judgy. And, 
you know, I don't know if you want to recreate a couple of the highlights of things that you talked about. Absolutely. Um, so on, on that Facebook live, one of the things, like you said, about being judgmental is life is hard enough, right? I don't need any extra help on feeling those exact feelings that I felt um, at six o'clock, the shame, the guilt, the, why can't you do anything right, Julie? I, I've got that enough. We all probably have that in ourselves. We don't need any extra placed on us. Um, so, and I think that's, I was almost annoyed that I was feeling those feelings yeah. as I was feeling them. Like, Julie, we've been through this. You have to be good to yourself. You know, you're nice. You know, you're, you're, you're not judging everybody else. Um, so I was almost annoyed at myself thinking, aren't you the one talking about not judging people? And here you are judging yourself. Yes. So it doesn't go away for sure. Um, but one of the things that I was trying to talk about really was about how our, most of our families and most of our loved ones and friends, they want to help us. They love us. They love our children. It's just that they don't know. And what you don't know, you don't know. Um, and so educating them is really difficult when you're in that dynamic. I mean, I cannot, I don't have this, I don't know the right word. I don't have the courage to say to my, let's say my mother, who's in her 60s, mom, you can't say that to me anymore. You can't, because I love her and I don't want her to be hurt. I don't want her to feel bad about herself. So I wrote the book in a sense so that you don't have to say that to your mom. I'll say it to her. Hey lady, you can't say that. Right. (laughs) Um, So I went through a couple of specifics, like what we hear all the time. Now, my children, um, they have invisible special needs like ADHD and autism, anxiety, oppositional defiant disorder, things that you can't see, which um, has its own specific challenges. Yeah. So a few of the, and the, oh, and the thing is, is that I'm not one of those quick witted people. Right. I think of a great comeback hours later. Mm-hmm. What I do when you say something is I giggle, I will, you know, fluff it off or I will just, and then I will cry in my car on the way home. So I'm not really good at the quick witted stuff. Um, and I'm not, I don't have that like, snap like screw you um either i don't have that angry that angry button so like Mm -hmm. it ends up that i'm not teaching you anything i'm just Mm -hmm. going in my car crying so i tried to like come up with the scripted i used to go to literally go to lectures and and raise my hand and say so so do you have like a script we can like a like a general thing we can say when somebody Mm -hmm. says something to us and everyone says no because there's a million different ways and there's a million different angles. So I thought I would try to put some together just so anybody else who's like me, you know, we could think about this together. One that we get, I get, and my husband get all the time is, oh, he looks so normal. I know. I hate that normal comment. Oh my gosh. And I, now I've learned, I don't want to be normal. Right. So I just say, well, so do you. Yeah. Like, you know, what's going on there? Or like, yeah, I look normal too, but we both know that's not true. I do love to put a a, a silly kind of spin on it just so that I don't want to hurt anyone. But in reality, it's like normal, screw normal. Um, Oh, I get a lot of, so my kids, when they were younger, especially they, they're aggressive and they're punchy and they want what they want when they want it. 
Mm-hmm. And, and we would hear a lot of, that's just a behavior. Kids are kids. That's just right. a tantrum, you know? Oh, you just have to nip that in the bud. Mm-hmm. My kids do that too. So, you know, I try to say, well, you know, I wish it were that simple. I wish that were the case. I wish, but actually he's trying to communicate his needs because he doesn't know how, you know, um, this is a part of his autism mm-hmm. and, or, you know, like, thanks, thanks a lot, but no. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ones I like is, oh yeah, well, my kid gets angry too. Yeah. Yes, well, your kid, when he gets angry, he might, you know, get on the floor kicking and screaming. My kid's anger is kicking and screaming me, breaking things, hurting people, destroying right. property. There's a difference. So that's the kind of way that I try to educate, like, yes and no. <laughs> Actually, yeah. um, so, or, or you shouldn't let him do that. I get that a lot. Yeah. Thanks. We're working on it. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great way to pass that off. And in reality, I want to say, we're working on it. Yeah. Like, I want to say like, yes, well, I shouldn't let you talk to me that way, but here we are. Right. You know? um, we all have a bit of ADHD in us. Uh, that gets me because yeah. I've heard it so much. And I think I thought that a while ago. And um, people don't have any real understanding what true ADHD is. And I think the picture of ADHD is still the person looking out the window you know, dream in dreamland. Right. And that's not ADHD in its entirety at this point. And so not true. true. So my kid who's impulsive, oh, he doesn't have ADHD. Yes. Actually he does. And actually we all don't have ADHD. It's actually a physical brain thing. So if you put your brain with his brain, his brain's mm-hmm. different than yours. Um, those type of things. I will try to have those conversations and it tends to be that after I start to get a little bit into it, I think, oh, forget it. You know? I know. I know. It's so amazing. I mean, when I, when I tell people that I have dyslexia and ADHD, they're like, you can't have that. You're a lawyer. Right. I'm like, oh, you're, yeah. smart. you're too smart to have that. But I do. And I just have a lot of great tools that help me figure it out. Or here's another awful one. When people want to ask you, oh, are, what kind of medications is your kid on? Excuse me? Like, we're not going to talk about that. Right. Um, what medications are you on? Right. <laughs> or, or, you know, when people get judgy about it, that was one thing that I loved that you were talking about when people get judgy about um, electronics, like, oh, you shouldn't let them have their electronics at the table or... You know, I when, when my kids, when, when my kids were this age, I never let them do X, Y, Z. Oh gosh. That's a big one because I think I used to be that way. I used to be at a restaurant and see kids on their iPads and think you lazy moms and dads just right. in your glass. I would never, I would never. Here I am now. God, we, if we ever left the house without the iPad or the phones, I would have to turn around and go back if we wanted, if I even wanted to eat my meal. Yes. I love that one. I love, that's not how we, that's not how we did it when I was young. Um, and then I just say, well, that's because your mom didn't love you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess, ah, we go on from there. Um, 
And the, <laughs> and, and the iPad one is a big one at the dinner table. And then I just say, well, you know what? He just ate three pieces of a, of his nuggets. So if he eats three pieces, he gets 10 minutes of his iPad. Me and dad are so proud. Good job, buddy. You know, like, but it's not that hate that you feel like you have to explain yourself to people all the time. And I'm sure that other people, parents feel this way too, but I think it's really in your face. And maybe we're, I mean, maybe I might be a little bit more sensitive to it because we hear it so much or I'm on guard about it, but it is exhausting. It is exhausting to live the life and then have to explain it or um, try to just keep my, keep myself from falling into a pity party of nobody gets me. Nobody understands my kids. My life right. stinks. They don't think I'm a good parent. You know, my friends, they, I love them, but there were, there were years when my kids were little that they would say, Oh, he never does that for me. Right. I would never let my kid wear shorts in the snow. That's a big one. You know, when you have a friend or like your sister or your parent, your mom, Oh, he doesn't behave like that at my house or when I'm watching him, he's just perfect. I loved what you said about that. Yeah. I actually say, because we get this a lot. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you know what? Of course he, he is working so hard to keep, to keep cool with you. But then when he, when he gets home with me, he feels safe. So he lets everything out. He can be himself. And I think it's twofold. One, it's a true, but two, I want them to realize like I'm his safety. I'm his home. Right. So you are being wonderful and you're wonderful, but you're judging me. But guess what? He's safe with me. So that's a big one with school too. Mm-hmm. And even therapy and professionals, because I feel that there's a lot of judginess with all the professionals in our kids' lives too. Mm-hmm. And so even though you wrote this book, Dear Loved Ones, for, you know, the, the family members and the, you know, sort of the close circles, this could be really for everybody in our kids' lives because it's the same conversation. Yeah. You know, the kids go to school and they're kind of, you know, not always, but they are a little bit tighter yeah. and, you know, really locked down and they do kind of let it rip at home. And I even felt that with my daughter, Elizabeth, who really wasn't a behavior um, kid, but sometimes she would come home and she would just like be unleashed with crying and crying and crying because she would just be on edge all day. And, And then she'd get home and she'd be exhausted and in pain and because she was nonverbal and we couldn't figure it out, you know, it would just be like, what is going on here? And I would get at the IEP meetings and at the doctor's office, well, you know, she doesn't do that with us. No, we can't figure it out. And then they'd look at you like you're crazy. Right. Or I know my one son, we were in a, a 504 meeting and I said, his anxiety is through the roof. And they said, well, we can't help you because it's not going across it's not just going across settings, right? And I thought it's not generalized working. across yes. the settings. And That's I thought he's wor- because he's working his ass off. He's being super successful at school. You know, that's why, but if we could help him a little bit, it would probably help when he got home. Yeah. That was annoying. Um, 
And I have to say, I, I, my son just turned 10 two days ago and we pulled out his scrapbook, you know, cause I tried to do like a one year scrapbook and Ooh, you're a good I, mom. Look at you. A, trust me. That took a really long time. Um, but so on the one I opened it up and I'm not kidding you. There's a picture. It says first day of preschool for my youngest. And he, he was buck naked in the dog bed, with his blankie, dead asleep because he worked so hard to be cool even in a half a day of preschool. And I was like, that's exactly it. It's like, I don't know about you, but when I go out to like, you know, out with my friends, I'm on, right? Like I love to be social and I love to be out and I'm talking a mile a minute and I'm happy as a clam. But when I get home, I'm done. And then, and I don't need to go back out for weeks or a month because I was just so on, but now I need, and that's who I am. I, that, that's not a, a fake persona or anything. That's who I am. But then I'm exhausted. It's right. exhausting being me sometimes, right? Like, um, so it's exactly like that with the kids. I feel like they're working really hard. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we get it, totally. Yeah, it's a it's a lot. So I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to kind of bring around some important things that I've been noodling on this past year. Oh, the pandemic has brought forward a lot of stuff for me. And you have two themes that even though you don't sort of outwardly say them, they're kind of running through your book and your conversations. And they're really paralleling two things that have been, I don't want to say bothering me, but two things that I've been talking about, thinking about, and sort of working on. And I know you're the perfect person to chat with about this, Julie. So I love it. Sure. So here we go. Okay. The first one is about language. So, you know, you talk a lot about language and the kinds of how language impacts us because, hey, you're talking about the kinds of things people say to you, say to us. So I've been, you know, getting a lot of feedback about the term special needs and in the disability community. Adults with disabilities, disabled adults, they don't like the term special needs. And frankly, they want to be asked, how do you want to be addressed? And pretty much hands down, people do say that they prefer to be addressed as a disabled person. Um, So... You know, I have always used the term special needs and far and away, most parents, as you know, because you use that term in your book and it's a special needs trust and I'm a special needs attorney and I do special needs planning. And, you know, I've always considered myself as having a special needs child and it's a softer term. And, um, the government uses that term special needs and social security uses that term special needs. I mean, this is what sort of what the ancillary community is used to, but the disability community finds that offensive. And we, we graduated from other language, you know, from handicapped to special needs. And so um, just recently I asked 
somebody to come on my podcast. It was a younger person who was disabled. And that person rejected me and said, no, because I don't like that term special needs. And just said, you know, it just feels like she doesn't get it or whatever. Now, I don't like being rejected hands down because I feel like that person didn't even listen to my podcast where I talk a lot about language and I've been noodling over this multiple times in my podcast. I've been talking about this for months now. Um, so I wanted to ask you to chat with me a little bit about this, you know, about this issue of language. And that kind of goes into my second issue of being a good ally, because as parents, allyship is so important. And we are the number one ally for our kids. And in the disability community, we are an important ally because we're the first ones who raise this disabled human being into the world. So the language is important and how we label because the labels are there, is important. So I'm almost done, Julie. No worries. All of this, but I'm involved. No worries. This week, there was an article in Medium where, by a disabled woman who um, was very respectful. Just She wrote this fantastic article that just said, you know, there's always been this back and forth, back and forth, uh, special needs versus disabled. And I get that parents are very sensitive about this topic. And, but you know, parents just stop, just stop using the special needs term. It doesn't help your kid. And it, it really doesn't help you because your kid needs to embrace the term disability. And that was kind of the gist of it. It was, it was more than that, obviously, but that was the gist of it. So now I want to throw this to you and I want to say, Julie, let's talk about language. Let's talk about allyship. And as, you know, as all of the DEI conversations are happening, as George Floyd is happening, as so much has been discussed about race and gender People have not really talked about DEI when it comes to disability. It's been left out of the conversation. Um, I'm throwing this to you and saying, that. let's chat. Yes. Okay. So, wow. I feel like a few things came right up for me pretty quickly um, when you were talking. And again, I, I should warn you that I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> so it's, mm. it's offensive. Um, or, or somebody um, has a hard time or triggered by anything I say, just know that this is my personal opinion um, mm-hmm. and I, I mean no disrespect. Personally, as a mom um, of children with mental illness, it's hard for me to say disabled yeah. because in my mind, that's not, what I, that's not what I think of. Special needs is softer, I think. Um, maybe that's why I use it all the time. And FYI, we all have special needs because everybody's different. So special needs makes me feel more inclusive in a sense, like, Hey guys, we're still all together, right? Your special needs is really, you know, 
to me, a bigger, a wider net so that we can be even, you know, all together even more. Disabled to me, it does sound, it sounds harsher, I think, in my mind. And maybe it's a uh, defense mechanism or a way to say, oh, my kids are okay. My kids are okay. Disabled, if I, I'm trying to think that if I were to say, oh, yes, my my children are disabled. You know what comes up for me? This isn't going, I don't know how this is going to go, but disabled, I automatically go to a physical, mm-hmm. a physical need as opposed to a mental health issue, which is extremely interesting that that's where my mind goes. Um, yeah, I, I totally understand people's preferences and wanting to be called one or the other, but I do think it's just that it's a personal preference. I feel like when you were talking about that article about let's just stop, stop using special needs, that's not doing anyone any favors. I disagree. I think you use what you want to use when you want to use it. End of discussion. It kind of goes back to the whole judgment thing. Like, I'm not judging you for wanting to be called disabled. Don't judge me for wanting to use special needs because in reality, it's all, it's all just, all of us just wanting to be understood, be heard, be seen, right? Mm-hmm. Like language is so important, but sometimes I think that we put too much emphasis on, on what the label is in a sense, like really it doesn't matter what, my kid's diagnosis is what matters is that these are the behaviors and these are how, this is how we're going to try to. This is the approach. Yeah. Yes. So in that sense, I kind of feel like, well, why are we putting all of our energy into what we want to be called? Let's put more of our energy into being together and working together and finding solutions to these issues, to these problems. I feel like, And I know that it's important. I know that a label is important in a lot of ways. I get it. Sure. But I just feel like so often, especially in where we are now, that everything is offensive and everything is hurtful and everything that somebody says can be, you know, construed or, and I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. It's exhausting, right? Like, even I feel like even this conversation, the first thing that my stomach kind of contracted Turns a little bit okay. yeah I'm going to say something that somebody's not going to like right we know uh, it's hard bad state of affairs because we're just talking about our personal opinions and this is a discussion so I feel like there's a lot of emphasis on the right and wrong way to say things when in reality we're all on the same page we all want the same things so maybe It's just like, I guess, with gender, what do you want to be called? What do you want to be identified as, right? Like there's no right or wrong, there just is. Mm -hmm. So that that woman would like to be called disabled. Wonderful, absolutely. You know, I'd like, I'd still like special needs. Okay. Um, And I agree with you about this woman who um, just denied you off the bat. That's not helpful. Let's have a discussion about why I think this, or let me come on your podcast so I can explain my point of view, right? Right. Because without being honest and open, we're going nowhere and we're going to stay in the same spot. And we really do need to come together 
not drift ourselves apart, not, not make another dividing line between disabled and special needs. Let's just, you know, let's just come together and work on what we got to work on. Yeah. So that's the whole point about being a good ally, right? Yeah. So, you know, as a person who has a hidden disability, which some people would consider a disability, being dyslexic and having ADD, ADHD. I, it's funny, I don't really consider myself disabled. Right. You know, I have Here. Mm-hmm. Uh, a neuro difference that I live with and I um, use tools to adapt, but I wouldn't put myself in the disability category, but some people do. Right. So I think it's all about, again, how you see yourself. And I, I don't necessarily think that one way or the other is correct. There's no right. There's no wrong. It just is who you are. Mm -hmm. But as we are moving along this conversation and we're thinking about as parents, we are that very first ally and that strongest ally. What do we what do we think about language and allyship? Does it matter? It must matter because when somebody says something that feels icky to me about one of the kids, right? It, I feel it inside. So in that sense, you're right. Language does matter because if I want to be close to my family or my friends and I want to be embraced and my kids embraced when we go over your house and, you know, you say something along the lines of, you know, oh, why is he doing that? Or, you know, why are you moving all the permanent markers out of reach? You know, that's our craft table, whatever it may be, right? That language matters because in a sense, I automatically would then be put on the defensive because permanent markers, do you want your leather couch ruined? (laughs) I'm trying to help you. Right. Um, Right. So there is, there is something to be said about, I think it's more education and that maybe that's it. Maybe it's like, if you can understand, if I can educate you on, this is why we do the things we do. This is, this is the terminology that, that doesn't hurt my heart type of thing, then we will all, then I can, then I can feel accepted. Mm. So I like that. Maybe that's more of it. Maybe it's, I just want to be accepted. So, and I want to feel your love. And I want, I want, I want to know in my heart of hearts that you're working on trying to make things better for my family. You know, mm-hmm. or oh, you re, you just, oh, you looked up what ADHD meant, you know, wow. Thank you. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. Because they cared enough to try to figure out the language or, you know, or what and how we're, we're trying to work through things. So it's interesting. It's such an interesting thing because in one minute, I literally just said, let's stop, (laughs) let's stop labeling and making language a thing. And yet here we are that every word that comes out of our mouths has the has the potential to either help or hurt. Yeah. I mean, think about some of the words that we've rejected. I 
lost my mind when somebody called my Elizabeth retarded. Right. Right. So there is somebody uses the word handicap. I just say, well, we don't use that word anymore, but it doesn't make me crazy. Right. So those are very different words. Now, do you think it's because we put more weight? Like in reality, that's a word. It's just a word. And it's what, what triggers us is what we put on it. Not just me personally, like as a society, this is what we put on it, right? It's the history of the word. Yes. Because I feel like in, so, okay. So right now we're on special needs and special needs is not, is not what people want to be called. So soon it will be disabled. And then years from now, it will be something else. And then something else. Right. It's like, how are we supposed to, how are we supposed to keep up a, without hurting people, even when we're not trying to, which I think is kind of the whole thing. I think that's the point because yeah. we tried the other things like differently abled and that didn't really catch on and nobody really jumped on that bandwagon. And so I think it is so hard, like you said. Um, because I agree, I have ADHD and anxiety and depression. Um, and I will tell you, I do not consider myself disabled. Do I consider myself, it's interesting, special needs. I just think of the kids. I don't even think of myself as an adult having special needs. See, I think that's the whole point. I think special needs is a kid term. And I don't think that we would use that for an adult. And I really feel like that's the difference. Yes, it's really true. Because, but is it because, here's one of my, here's one of my thoughts right now that just came to me. Am I thinking that my child, I'm calling, um, I'm calling them my special needs child or, you know, whatever. Um, he has special needs. Is it because he's not old enough yet? He doesn't have the tools yet to manage those? Because like, maybe that's why I don't consider myself, myself special needs because I've learned through years of therapy and, you know, many different things. I have a toolbox now that helps me manage my day-to-day versus a child who's not there yet maybe I don't know maybe as an adult I would consider my daughter Elizabeth if she were still with us I would call her disabled as mm-hmm. opposed to a child who was special needs even though her physical challenges would have been the same I don't know that's an interesting thought Julie especially because the woman who wrote that article you said she was an adult an adult So I wonder if it also changes as, I mean, the objections are really all coming from adults. Right. But then again, most of the adults that are writing about this really are very, um, very much saying, you know, we want to be asked. Yes. Right. And, you know, honestly, I've interacted with many, many adults and, for the most part, people are super respectful and really engaged in the conversation and really want to have that conversation. I will tell you as somebody who has a business called Special Needs Law Group and a business called Special Needs Family Services, it's not that people are completely rejecting it and not doing business with us because that's what our business says. But I do wonder if you know people are 
looking at that and saying, well, that's only for family members as our clients, as opposed to the disabled adult themselves to be our client. So I don't know. For us, it's, it's, it's unique because I feel like, well, we're doing so much of the planning, which has to do with a special needs trust, which is typically, I mean, it's not called a disability trust. It's called a special needs trust, you know? So, but the, the language, language, we all struggle with language, you know? Um, Anyway, to get back to the issue of allyship, which again, you talk about so much in your book and in all of the things that you do, which is your circle of care. And you're trying to draw people into that circle to be helpful, right? You're trying to draw them in so that they know how to support, how to how to be there. Um, and this is a time when we need that support more than ever, more than ever. I, I agree. And I think, again, I feel like every, I know so many family members and friends want to help. And maybe, you know, I think for a lot of us, there might be a fear that goes along with that. If I say something, I don't want to offend you, right? Like half the time, my family and friends, they don't, they don't know what they're saying is even maybe triggering for me, right? How would they, if I don't explain it or talk to them about it? Um, but again, there is that, that barrier. That's why I think that education has to be the number one, even when it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not great at this. I think that's why I wrote the book because I could say it on paper, but I don't have the, you know, the guts to say it. Hey friend, what you just said, see that there? that hurt me. And here's why, because I felt like you were, you just called me a bad parent. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, and if I should be adult, I should be an adult enough to be able to have that back and forth with a close friend. But usually that's when I just drive home and, you know, think I'm a horrible, I'm a horrible parent. But in reality, you're right. If we had this education, if we could have these conversations. I think that given everybody's um, to use the term wokeness, mm-hmm. everybody's enlightenment about DEI, about diversity. And, and just to say to people, you know, diversity is about disability too. And bring them into the conversation about disability. I think if we could rein people in on that, we might be able to... Um, bring the circle tighter. Mm -hmm. And if I just had one little nugget to offer here as parents, as busy as we are, and as family members, that it's time for us to get tighter and to pull together because uh, this year has been hard on all of us. Women have left the workforce in droves because of what's happened with the pandemic. We are at unemployment rates that we haven't seen since the 80s. Right. Yeah. And um, as much as we saw some good things happen with uh, President Biden's um, bill and all, with his budget, there were a lot of things still missing from there when it comes to disability. So 
our families are not getting supported in the way that we need. And especially as our kids get older and become adults. So we really, really need to pull together because we're so isolated and we cannot keep fighting these fights one at a time. Every family is fighting alone the same battle over and over and over again. And we are stronger together. And so um, as I am remembering, as April just ended, and I, as I am remembering the and honoring the fight that all of those brave men and women who did that month-long sit-in for uh, the 504 that got passed many years ago, um, back in the 70s, I want to just think about what a small group of brave men and women could do and they had allyship back then. Mm-hmm. And I want to just think about, you know, kind of getting back to that and, and remembering that we can support each other once again. And I'm hoping that we can use some of your humor Thank and you. use some of your talented, um, supportive phrases and supportive uh, language to bring people into the fold. So do you have any last thoughts that you might be able to leave us with as, as you know, we try to think about drawing people together um, on a larger scale? Absolutely. I love, I love what you just said there because um when I think about when you were explaining the sit-in and what happened and how it went down right now, I wouldn't know who to talk to or where to go or, um, and I have inside, like there are thoughts that I have inside my kid's school, for instance, they are wonderful, but wouldn't it be great? I know there are children in my kid's school and schools all around that, that need help that, they're not getting it. It's a slow process and everything like that. And immediately I want to help, right? I want to help them, but I have no clue what to do or how to do it or where to go. Um, so I, I agree. I, gosh, if there was a way for moms like myself who were in it, we don't have to be isolated. Let's all have this talk together. What it, you know? What's happening in your IP meeting? Because that's the same thing that's happening in mine. So, so what do we have to do? Right. Um, so I agree with you. We do need to kind of, especially because we're adults and we're moms and we're, we're no joke, you know, we're super strong and we can do anything. Oh, yes. It's about now. I think at this point saying I'm done being isolated. I'm going to talk about every single thing that's going on in my house with my kids and their issues, because you're going through it and you're going through it and you're going through it. And if you're not going through it, you need to know anyway. And then maybe if we could all just join together and bring with us our strengths, for instance, like you mentioned, I, I like to use humor. Awesome. There's somebody, there's another mother who's struggling with her children who, if she was at the same, if we, if we could discuss it, she's got a really great, you know, she's in a profession where she understands law or she understands writing or she understands 
can you imagine what we could do with all of our strengths? Right, exactly. So I agree, we need to, in order to make change and at least be able to have these discussions, we do need to be able to open up. We have to put away the stigma, put away the fear, put away any shame we might have that's totally personal, you know, um, and just put it all out there so that everybody can learn. And they have us so afraid that if you get something, then I'm not going to get something. So they, you know, they've got us in this position where we're fighting with each other about it. You know, um, like if I got an I, if I got something in my IEP, I'm not going to tell you because I, I feel like they just did me a favor. I'm not right. I'm not going to say that you, right. Right. Because, you know, there's only so much to go around. So I wouldn't want to, um, I wouldn't want to tell, you know, my next door neighbor, because then if she asks for the same thing, then all of a sudden nobody's going to get anything. Do you know one of um, something that was happening recently in, in my life personally is I am the parent at school who doesn't rock the boat. So I talk to my teachers um, during conferences and at IEP meetings. So maybe three or four times. Right. And that's where we talk about any issues that we have. And there, and I just found out that there's other parent, other moms who are, you know, emailing every day and, and, and having many, many meetings, multiple meetings a month with their teacher to advocate for their child. Mm-hmm. And immediately, I'm going to tell you that I felt annoyed because I'm playing by the rules and she's, you know, she's, she's getting a lot of shit for her kid. Let me tell you. Right. Mm-hmm. Because in a, in a, you know, I don't know whether another way to say it, but the squeaky wheel, right. Gets the oil. And in a sense, the first thing I was, was annoyed because that means that my kid isn't being seen, which in reality if I would have known this before, maybe I wouldn't have felt uncomfortable reaching out in an email saying, Hey, listen, this is, we need to fix this part. I don't have to wait four months for my meeting. Again, I never knew that there were moms who were doing that, who were reaching out and, and demanding meetings that, that weren't scheduled. And it's because I'm, I have a different personality, but now that I know that, well, heck, of course I'm going to now email when I need to. So again, it's, it's, it's could be something as little as that knowing, Oh, wait, I, I have a right to be able to ask these questions. Or when things really are going wrong, all the parents get together and protest. Right. Right. You know, come together as a group and right. really, you know, have a protest force right. a big meeting, um, sit down with the superintendent sit down with the school board, do what you got to do to make it right. Right. When I was in college at the University of Vermont, we had some very bad uh, racial incidents and a group of students took over the entire administration building and a group of white students, me included, were not part of those students of color, but we in our allyship Mm -hmm. went on a hunger strike and took over a different part of the administration building. So they took over the president's wing and we took over a different part of the building and went on a hunger strike. And we were in there for a week. Wow. Yeah. Before we had to leave. 
because awesome. that's so police came. <laughs> that's so powerful though. That's so empowering. Yeah. So yeah, I went on a hunger strike for a week um, until they agreed to fix some things. Um, and it's sad to say not a lot changed. Some things changed, but I mean, it was pretty horrific. Um, so it was, uh, you know, that's allyship, right? You can't be right in the mix if you're not maybe one of the affected class, but you can be right there supporting in a way that is connected because you care and because you you need, you want to make an impact. Right. So you don't have to sit on the sidelines. As a parent, you can still do something. As a family member, you can still do something. As a professional who is in this industry, you can still do something. You can make change. It's so true. It's so true. We just have to be open. We just have to be open and honest. Power to the people. Yeah. All of a sudden now I want to go. I couldn't go on a hunger strike. (laughs) I'll do something. I want to do something. Right. Well, we're too old to do that, probably. But we could march and roll with our signs. And, you know, we could, if things are not going right, we don't have to take it. It's true. It's true. And you don't have to do it alone. No. That's Why do we have to fight one family at a time? One family at a time. It's ridiculous. I say that in my practice all the time. I'm so tired of fighting the same battle with Medicaid over and over again, the same battle with Social Security. It's the same case over and over and over again. That is so frustrating. It is so frustrating. Global change. We need global change. Because it doesn't need so hard. It doesn't need to be everything... (laughs) Everything in our lives is hard. Right. So to, to get together to make some one thing a little less hard is a huge deal. Okay. So podcast fans, I'm doing my part. Julie's doing her part. What are you guys doing? Join us. First of all, read Julie's book. It's very funny, but it's also really, really heartfelt and it's important. It gives you the tools that you need to have those important and touching conversations. It will help you, I promise. And if you are ready to take on more, get in touch. So message me in any way, join our circle of care, get in touch with Julie and let us know what you're up for because I would love to continue this conversation about language. I'd love to continue this conversation about allyship. I want to know what you think. I'm still noodling around these things. I don't have all the answers. Julie doesn't have all the answers. We only know what we think and somewhat what I've been hearing from people, but I'm completely open to, you know, really just digesting all of what's out there. And I would, I would just really love to know what you all want. And I want to, I want to join forces with all of you. So let's, uh, let's get together and see what we can accomplish. Right, Julie? Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. 
Definitely. Well, Julie, it is always a pleasure chatting with you. I cannot wait till we can get together in person. I hate this pandemic. Let it be dead already. (laughs) I know. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You know, I could talk for days and days and days and days. Wonderful. (laughs) All right. I will see you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.